Become spellweavers, reavers, rogues, and men-at-arms, and answer the call of adventure. Pick up your sword, your axe, your spellbook, your bow, your rulebook, and your dice, and join the forces of good in their eternal fight against vile monsters, conspiring min-maxers, horny bards, and blood-soaked murder hobos. Discover the treasure trove of role-playing games here on Rollin' Bones. My name is Ryan Howard, and I shall be your guide. Become spellweavers, reavers, rogues, and men-at-arms, and answer the call of adventure. Pick up your sword, your axe, your spellbook, your bow, your rulebook, and your dice, and join the forces of good in their eternal fight against vile monsters, conspiring min-maxers, horny bards, and blood-soaked murder hobos. Discover the treasure trove of role-playing games here on Rollin' Bones. My name is Ryan Howard, and I shall be your guide. Good evening, Boneheads, and welcome to Rollin' Bones with Ryan Howard, your RPG treasure trove. I'm your host and king of the Boneheads, Ryan Howard, and it seems like my interview with uh, David Beatty is under something of a mummy's curse or uh, something similar. Uh, he's having some car trouble, which is preventing him from uh, getting back from, uh, I think, getting groceries or something like that. That came up about half hour before I was supposed to come on here. So, uh, yeah, that's uh, that's what we're dealing with tonight. Uh, so rather than give you guys nothing, since you know we had a, a big, long holiday break, uh, instead, tonight I am going to just do a little bit of random RPG talk. Um, 
there are a couple topics here or there that I've been thinking about recently. Uh, some things that I kind of want to talk about and just uh, just kind of shoot from the hip, do a little discussion uh, as people kind of come into the stream. Uh, we'll see if any topics come up. If anyone has any topics uh, that they want to shout out, uh, definitely uh, feel free to ask questions or uh, you know something like that. Because uh, I don't have a plan for tonight, so we'll we'll see kind of how this goes and how long the uh, how long the show lasts uh, this evening. But I do have a couple topics to uh, to talk a little bit about, and the biggest one that I want to talk about this is on the theme of uh, you know finding the right game for the situation that you're in, finding the right game for the group that you're in. It's also on the subject of OSR. And this is my thesis, for lack of a better word, that you guys will have to excuse me for a second. This thing's heavy, and I was picking it up with my left hand. Dungeon Crawl Classics is the perfect game to introduce someone to role-playing games. Now, I've talked so often and so long about this that you'd be forgiven for thinking that Goodman Games isn't, uh, you know, sponsoring the stream on the DL. They're not. Just so you know, I just, I like the system that much. But, honestly, when it comes down to it, and I, I've been thinking about this a lot recently, if I were to introduce a new group of players to RPGs, and in fact, I'm planning on introducing some new players, a, you know, a, a group of completely new players to RPGs, um, I would do so, and will do so, with Dungeon Crawl Classics. And I'm going to talk a little bit about why, and I'm going to talk a little bit about why that game is not D&D, despite the fact that I was introduced with D&D, specifically with 5th edition, and, you know, a lot of people are requesting D&D by name. So we're gonna we're gonna talk a little bit about that tonight. So uh, just to kick things off, I guess I can you know tell the story about how this came about and and why I started thinking about this because this really did happen just off the top of my head, spur of the moment, just you know popped into my head suddenly. Um, a group. Not a group. A couple approached uh, my wife and I at the church that we go to. And they said, hey, we want to uh, we want to try D&D. We, we were wondering if you guys played D&D. Uh, you know, if you had any experience with it. They, they didn't know. They just knew that my, you know, Elfie and I had a Lord of the Rings wedding, which we did. Anyone who's friends with me on Facebook, you've seen the pictures. Um... You know, we, we had a Lord of the Rings wedding, so we've basically advertised everyone at our church that we're nerds. Uh, we're, we're into that sort of thing. So uh, this couple approached us, and they knew of our fandom for Lord of the Rings and said, Hey, have you guys ever played D&D? And my wife just kind of looked at me, and I... I don't know what my expression was because I couldn't see my face, but I imagine I had... Uh, what Dr. Seuss would describe as an awful evil smile on my face because I was like, do do I play D&D? Let me tell you. Let me tell you. I play some D&D. And 
I think that was good news to them because they really want to give it a go. They want to give it a swing. And they said, you know, we've never played before. We want to try it and see what it's all about. And so immediately I started thinking, uh, how do you introduce people who, you know, love fantasy and have an idea of what fantasy should be, uh, but have no concept of what D&D is to kind of the world of role-playing? They're, they're familiar with the concept of D&D, as everyone is kind of culturally. There, there have been several cultural examples of what constitutes a game of D&D, whether it's the Community episode or the Big Bang Theory episode or uh, Critical Role or, you know, just Stranger Things, any number of... Uh, pop culture touch points where someone can identify what a game of D&D looks like rather than having it explained to them. Because I find that explaining uh, role-playing games to people who know nothing about role-playing games is kind of a monumental task when you really think about it. And that's why so often, and you know, I, I talked about this with Aaron when he was on the show, uh, D&D really isn't collaborative storytelling, not in its purest form, not, you know, D&D being used as kind of the rules are written uh, for it to be, and it's not designed to be a story game. There's emergent storytelling. I've, I've heard people say that, uh, but it's really... It's really difficult to describe other than telling people, you know, you're sitting around interacting with a group of people, uh, you know, with the, the goal of kind of creating a story or creating a uh, something that simulates like a fantasy novel or fantasy movie. Um, and that's why so often I think a lot of us default to explaining D&D to the otherwise uninitiated, the people who've you know, maybe never seen an episode of a sitcom or a TV show where people are playing D&D and don't really understand what, what it is. Uh, how do we explain to these people what the game is? And so that's where a lot of the, you know, it's collaborative storytelling, it's people sitting down, uh, kind of interacting to scenarios, because, it, again, it's so, it's so difficult to describe to people. The way the the thing that finally clicked for me when I first started playing, because I only had a you know a weak conception of what D and D was from those pop culture touchstones. It took me a session of playing D and D to realize this is like playing a video game without any kind of programming constraints. So you know this is like playing Skyrim or World of Warcraft or something like that, only I'm not limited to what the programmers put in the game. I'm only limited to my imagination and the dungeon master's reaction to my imagination. And once that clicked for me, it was like, uh, it was like taking the red pill. It was like, uh, that movie Limitless where, uh, Bradley Cooper finds out that he can access uh, you know, the, the entirety of his brain, despite the fact that that's not really scientifically how it works. Repeat to yourself, it's just a show, I should really just relax. Anyway, 
that was my, you know, awakening to what is a role-playing game. And it's kind of, uh, there's no way to make this not sound weird, but it's like, um, I think it's the Freemasons have a saying, uh, be one, ask one, or something, something similar to that. When, when you ask what, uh, Or maybe it's like ask one. It's something similar to that. Be one, ask one, or ask one, be one. Whenever you ask, like, what actually happened, like, what is a Freemason? They That's generally their reaction. And part of that's because it's a weird secret society and whatever. I, I don't want to talk about the Freemasons tonight. That's a, that's a weird rabbit hole to go down. Um, but... It's almost the same thing with role-playing. It, it's kind of like, you know, being in a secret society or, or being in uh, the mafia. There's this... Or, or being in the wrestling business to use something that's only slightly less sketchy. Um, there's this whole secret lingo, the secret world, that only the initiated can access because only the initiated can understand it. And the only way to understand it is to experience it. And to experience it firsthand, not, you know, secondhand through one of these shows. Or even through, like, an, an actual play. Actual plays can be fun, they can be entertaining. But you don't really understand what happens in a role-playing game until you sit down and roll dice. So explaining it to people, it's, you know, it, it inevitably comes around to, look, if you don't get it, uh, I can run a game for you. I can show you what it's all about. It's a little difficult to explain, but, you know, if, you, if you're really curious, if you really want to know, if you want to know so bad, let me run a game for you. When are you available? Let, I'll put together one shot. I'll grab something off my shelf. I've got a whole bunch of games that I can run for you. You want to see what it's about? Let's, uh, let's jump in. Uh, but fortunately, this couple, they seem pretty ready to jump in. They, it wasn't any of the, like, you know, what what is D&D? What, what's going on? They seemed to understand that it was something adjacent to what they're interested in. And they wanted to experience it. So uh, we haven't scheduled that. I haven't told anyone anything. I don't even know what I'm going to do as far as the adventure. Uh, but one thing I do know is that I'm going to run it in DCC. And I even told them, uh, the game that we'll be playing is not called Dungeons & Dragons. For all intents and purposes, using uh, Professor Dungeon Master's definition, where you're rolling a d20 and adding a modifier to get a result, it's Dungeons & Dragons in the tradition of D&D. It is a, a fantasy role-playing game, uh, but it does not, like I said so much with uh with bloodworth and with uh aaron it does not have a d and ampersand and a d in the title uh because it didn't have to it really didn't have to i'm gonna harp on that again we might end up talking about that again tonight but it is D D without being called D D. I didn't go into that full explanation because they didn't push back uh but what I said to them as I was putting this together is uh, Dungeon Crawl Classics, specifically, is a system that doesn't have a lot of rules. It's pretty straightforward. 
as far as the content of what you need to know. Uh, it's pretty easy to explain to people. And there's not a lot of choice par paralysis. And that's really uh, something that I've come to realize about D&D, &D, especially these days. Sorry about that. Still, uh, still have a little bit of congestion. So, uh, sorry for the pause there. Anyway, one of the biggest problems with modern D&D &D for newcomers, especially at this point, is the analysis paralysis. And I've experienced this uh, not as a player, because as a player, I knew what I wanted. I came into 5e at the very beginning, essentially wanting to play Aragorby 1 Kenobi. I wanted to be a ranger. I wanted to uh, swing my two swords and shoot my bow and, you know, all that good stuff. I wanted to be a ranger. In fact, I wanted to be a ranger so bad that I leaned into every stereotype. But... What I noticed uh, the first time I tried to bring people into the hobby, the first time I introduced someone to D&D &D and had a big group of people uh, that were all first-time players, the issue that I ran into was there were too many options. And this was just with uh, the PHB, Xanathar's Guide, and I think that might have been it. I, In fact, I'm pretty sure that was definitely it at the time. Because um, there was no uh, Tasha's Cauldron. I didn't even attempt to broach the subject of the Unearthed Arcana. Uh, because why even bring that up at all with people who only know that Dungeons and Dragons is a thing that exists, why open up this whole realm of, hey, here's a bunch of stuff from the internet that you can use that's kind of official, but also maybe broken as hell. So uh, you can try to unleash that on me, and I can try to understand what you're doing, and we can have that whole uh, communication breakdown where... Uh, Possibly, depending on what you're using, I as the uh, the DM get very irritated with you because you are stupid powerful and I'm having to build fights around the fact that you can do all kinds of crazy stuff. No, not even, not even opening that door. Really just two books worth of content. Uh, and this character wanted to play a cleric. Or this, uh, this player wanted to play a cleric. Um... So the options weren't as open as, let's say, uh, like, I don't know, who has the most options, right? I guess clerics do kind of have the most options. Um, but, you know, this, this player wanted to play a cleric because they played a cleric in computer RPGs. And clerics, uh, like Elfie's saying in chat here, clerics are very, very hard uh, mechanically. There's a lot that's uh, different about clerics but the the one thing that really kind of caught this player up early on uh and and made it difficult for her uh just kind of throughout was 
there's an embarrassment of riches available in the 5e books. There's so many choices, be they spell choices, uh, you know, your your particular um, choices as, uh, you know, like what kind of cleric you are uh, and, and the various different things that come with being that kind of cleric. Uh, all of that overwhelmed this player. And I was not half... Or even, you know, I, I was not half the, the GM that I am now. Going through this experience actually taught me a lot about GMing and what it means to be a good GM. Because I was not a good GM in this case. Uh, I, I was kind of frustrated. Because I thought, you know, hey, when I when I came here, I knew exactly what I wanted to do. But what I wanted to do uh, was dirt simple. Because there was one book that had uh, class options in it when I started. It was just PHB. So, you know, it, entering uh, the world of D&D at this point for people can be super overwhelming. And we've got a couple questions here in chat uh, to, to talk about here as this has come up. Uh, Elfie asks what the easiest class is for beginners. Um, Rogue is pretty easy. Uh, the martial classes are all kind of across the board, pretty easy to, to get your head around. Uh, fighter is easy. As far as... Mar fighter is the easiest class. Um, it's the easiest and the most rewarding martial class. There's not a lot to barbarians, but barbarians... Uh, when you get a barbarian at the table, and I found this with a lot of new players, there's, there's this like deflation. Anytime you're not in combat... Uh, a lot of players who are playing a barbarian for the first time, myself included, uh, kind of like throw their hands up and are like, what do I do now? What what do I even do here? Ranger is a good choice. Um, in 5e now, ranger is a good choice. Uh, however, because rangers aren't that great just as your, your standard PHB ranger, uh, they're... They're desiring a lot early on, so it might be discouraging for a new player, and it's also something where a GM is going to have to come alongside that player and say, hey, I understand that you feel like you're you're underpowered right now. Um, here are some other options that'll make you a little bit more useful. If you wanted to play a ranger-type character early on, I would actually... Uh, recommend playing a scout rogue. So start off as a rogue and say, look, at third level, you're going to kind of take on this more woodsy aspect and you're going to be a little bit more the ranger that you want to be because that'll give them the kind of Aragorn experience that everyone's looking for as a ranger um, early on, like as as they're getting into D&D. Um that that'll give them the experience they uh, they're looking for without feeling left out at all. Uh, Scout Rogue is a very good option for uh, your introductory ranger, and if you're, I, I've also said that you know multi-classing as a battlemaster fighter and then uh, picking up Scout Rogue is a good option, but you don't want to introduce multi-classing to a brand new player. 
Uh, from the spellcasting side of things, Warlock, I'd say, is the easiest class to start off with because you don't have as many spell options. A lot of your stuff, it's not based on spell slots. It's based on the cantrips that you're using and the Eldritch Invocations that you have. So explaining that to new players is a, a little... It, being a spellcaster of any variety is going to be more effort than being a martial character because there's more choices to make. But a warlock kind of limits those choices and streamlines those choices where, honestly, most warlocks are relying on two things. The Eldritch Blast cantrip and the Hex spell. And that's really what you need to concern yourself with uh, as a brand new warlock. Optimize and build towards uh, being able to blow things away with your Eldritch Blast and uh, hexing things so that you can blow them away with your Eldritch Blast. And then, you know, taking stuff like... Uh, what is it? Arms of Hadar is a good one. Um, I think it's also like Armor of Hadar, the the mage armor that deals necrotic damage. It's something like that. I, I can't remember off the top of my head. I don't play casters very often. But the last one I did play was a warlock, so, you know, make of that what you will. Um, and then... James here in chat, uh, Valor Studios, makes a great point here about this, uh, you know, the, the idea of choice being so cool versus the reality of choice when you're new. Uh, what James says here is, uh, I feel like the idea of having a bunch of spells you can pick from, uh, I guess, you know, that's that's a cool idea, but for new players, it's challenging actually knowing which ones to to take a look at that's that's a big aspect of it because you can show a new player their uh their spell list and they'll just be like wow that's a lot and the first instinct is always uh so i get all of this and then you have to go no you have to choose which spells you want from this list uh in theory Depending on what kind of caster you are, you can. All of these spells are available to you, but you need to select which ones you want. And then, as a GM, you have to go through with them and kind of explain, you know, this spell does this, this spell does that. You're this kind of caster, so you're going to be better at this kind of thing. Um, if you're looking to, you know, deal a bunch of damage, you want to look at these spells. If you're looking to. Uh, you know, be more of a field control thing. It's a lot. Explaining casters to new players is a lot. And one reason why I, you know, kind of, you know, push away from D&D at this point is there's no getting away from that. Even with a lot of martial classes, there's so much to explain to people. And, and then, yeah, as, as James says here again, you do that for one player, and then you inevitably have someone else at the table who's also wanting to be a spellcaster. So you kind of go through it again. And they're never... It's not like they both want to be wizards, or they both want to be clerics, so you can have the talk once. It's, you know, this guy wants to be a wizard, this guy wants to be a cleric, uh, over here wants to be a warlock, so you have to go through all of these different concepts with them. And no one 
has the PHB or you know the the DM's guide or anything. No one has any anywhere near all of the spells memorized. As GMs, we have the spells that we find the most useful memorized, or the spells that you know we want to torment our players with memorized. Uh, but if someone just like points at a spell that they think has a cool name, but you've never used it before, it's you know it's never come up. And they're like, "What does that do?" And you're like, "I I don't know." And then, in a lot of ways, you're eroding your confidence uh, of your players because every time they're asking you questions, you're going, "I I don't know." And then you're having to dig through the PHB, read everything, and yeah. You know, it's a huge mess. It's a huge mess, honestly. Um, and it's something, you know, inevitably everyone has to go through at some point. Everyone starts in this hobby knowing nothing. And then you have to, uh, you know, explore and expand your horizons and, and find what you like. And then, you know, eventually you start to figure things out. And yeah, uh, like Elfie says in chat here, new players are amazing when left to their own devices at getting themselves in situations or asking questions uh, that you don't know anything about. So as the GM, it, it's like uh, it's like being the, the bridge keeper in Monty Python's Holy Grail when uh, the knights go African or European swallow and he goes, what? Wait, I don't know that. And then you get launched out into the abyss because you don't know the, uh, you don't know what kind of swallow uh, everyone was talking about. It's, you know, it, it can be a lot. It can be very daunting. And so that, that's why I am now and forevermore defaulting for new RPG players, Dungeon Crawl Classics. Because when it comes to Dungeon Crawl Classics, uh, the question is, what do you want to play? What kind of character do you want to be? Here are the options. And there are no other options beyond this. There's no subclasses. There's no nothing. It's just these particular uh, character classes that you have. Cleric, Thief... Warrior, Wizard, Dwarf, Elf, Halfling. So if you are if you are a Dwarven character at all, that's your class. You are a Dwarf. How does it function? You're essentially a fighter. Um, you're an Elf. How does that work? You are a fighter with a little bit of magic. Halfling. You're, you know, a thief essentially. Uh, killing monsters for XP versus milestones, I will get to that in just a second. That's a, that's a great topic. Um, so, to, to kind of wrap this up for a little bit to get to the, the question there, um, Dungeon Crawl Classics streamlines a lot of the questions that, that new players have, and the mechanics are all very simple. Uh, even with spellcasting, do you have to choose your spells? Yes. Uh, there, there are certain spells that you know uh, that you can use, so there's, there's still that element of choice. But the mechanics are all the same. 
you know, you roll and you're trying to hit a target number. Now, explaining the the spell burn concept and all that, that's a process. But again, um, once you've accepted that you're you're teaching new people how to run RPGs, there's no getting around. I have to teach them something. I have to go through some of these concepts and explain them to people who may not understand these things at all because they've never played a role-playing game in their life. That's not going away. But it's a lot simpler than instead of asking what kind of wizard do you want to be, what kind of cleric do you want to be, what kind of fighter do you want to be, just saying, all right, you want to be, a, you want to swing a sword, you want to swing an axe, uh, you're a warrior. You want to cast spells, uh, do you want to cast spells, or do you want to heal people with your spells and, like, turn the undead. Depending on the answer, you're either a cleric or a, a wizard. You want to be dexterous and steal things, you're a thief. You know, it's it's pretty cut and dry, and it's pretty easy to pick up and pretty easy to explain. There's not a lot of rules. There's not a lot of situational stuff that you have to worry about with DCC. It's all relatively simple to just drop someone in there and say, all right, you know, here's what you need to do. As situations come up, you can kind of talk them through their mechanics. Uh, but for the most part, that out that analysis paralysis is largely missing from uh, DCC. And it's largely missing from a lot of OSR games, uh, which is very helpful to new players. It's one thing that I think is missing from a lot of what, you know, modern D&D is. D&D used to be played by uh, like 11 and 12 year olds when it first came out. That's the people you talk to who got into role playing in the 70s and the 80s. They started when they were kids. And a lot of times, even with 5th edition, for as, you know, watered down as 5e can be from time to time, a lot of it feels like you need to have a master's degree uh, to get through all the reading that you have to do. It's not, it's not a 15-minute process to build a character. It's, you know, it takes an entire session zero to build a party of four characters uh, with all the questions and stuff. And uh, not only is James here, but uh, Tony is here in chat as well. How you doing? Uh, we were just talking about why I am now uh, convinced that running Dungeon Crawl Classics is better for new players than running, like, 5th edition D&D. Uh, but we may come back to that if there are any other questions from anyone else. But for now, I do want to address what James just brought up here in chat. Uh, XP versus Milestone. I don't believe I've talked about this on the show ever, so, you know, this is the first time for everything. Uh, I was introduced to gaming, uh, the, the two sessions that I ran with my original, original Dungeon Master, uh, we did XP. But I was largely uh, brought up on milestone leveling. And there's a lot of merits to milestone leveling uh the players don't have to constantly consult charts there's not this element of uh you know trying to like gamify xp or trying to determine what the what do you want to do based on the potential xp rewards 
Uh, there's no element of like, do I backstab the shopkeeper just to get the, you know, XP that I can get from them. A lot of that's taken away with milestone leveling. And milestone leveling allows you to get uh, characters where you need them when you get to certain situations. It's like in a fantasy book. Uh, you know, when you read uh, Lord of the Rings, Frodo doesn't get sting uh, when he gets to a certain level because he grinded enough, because he, you know, uh, survived enough encounters. He didn't kill anyone uh, before he got sting. Um, there's not this element of XP to, uh, you know, Frodo getting sting. There is an element of XP in, you know, uh, Aragorn teaching all of the hobbits to fight. Uh, like we see in the movie, when they have that whole like dog pile scene, but Frodo getting to uh, to Rivendell and you know getting the mithril shirt, getting Sting, and you know being sent on his quest, that feels a little bit more like milestone leveling to me. It's okay at this point, you have unlocked these things, you're getting these gifts from a mentor, so that you will be prepared to move on to the next thing. Um, there's a good amount of uh, justification for that in the the fantasy source material, more so than you know, kind of like grinding out XP. That's a very, and I'm thinking of it in a very video gamey context because, you know, that's what I was raised in. That's what I was brought up in my nerddom in was uh, video games. Uh, however, for the the merits that Milestone has, I feel like there's a way to kind of combine the two of them to where, you know, you, you need XP to level up, but the XP comes from, you know, what the, uh, what the Dungeon Master is providing. That was very kind of clunkily worded there, but rather than just the the GM saying, okay, uh, after tonight's session, you all level up, which is valid. It's more like you overcame this particular challenge. You, uh, you know, beat these creatures. You didn't necessarily kill them, uh, but they were demoralized and ran away. So let's say you're fighting a, a, a gang of bandits that you came upon in the wilderness and you kill two of them. Uh, but the other two see that, hey, you know, our friends just bought it. These aren't easy marks like we thought they were. We're going to, we're going to, you know, beat feet. We're getting out of here. So, you know, those guys are running away. And at that point, you know, okay, you guys took out two of the four bandits. Uh, the other ones are running away. You guys get this amount of XP. Um, that is, you know, that's a valid way to give out XP. You don't have to necessarily go by what it says next to the stat block. Because if you do, that's when you get to the element of, okay, uh, I need a certain amount of XP and this shopkeeper's really uh, irritating me. So I'm going to shank him for the XP. And, uh, you know, at that point, you know, just give me my XP. I don't care if I... Uh, cause calamity in the town, 
you know, I, I did it for the XP. It's a very, very metagamey way to look at things. Uh, but Tony does make a good point here in chat. It's easier to plan campaigns uh, using milestones because you know, again, you know where characters are going to be certain levels. You know that in four sessions, we're going to, uh, you know, assuming everything kind of goes the way we're planning, in, in four sessions, uh, this party is going to enter the Sunken Citadel, to use my uh, Dark Sun example. Everything that I've planned out for the Sunken Citadel requires these characters to be a fifth level. So, to ensure that, you know, everyone's going to be fifth level as they're entering the Citadel, right when they find the Citadel, and we cut to black that session before uh, going in, you go, all right, everyone level up to level four, or level five, is what I said. Um, and then you know your players are prepared. And honestly, what it comes down to is, you know, there's no wrong answer here. The, the wrong answer is the answer that frustrates you as a GM. If you think milestone leveling is too silly or too easy or too whatever, then use XP. Uh, if you think that the XP system is encouraging your players to, uh, you know, they're, they're only going to take on certain quests if they need the XP or if they think the XP is going to be better, uh, you know, exploring this dungeon versus helping out this townsperson, regardless of what you thought the main quest was, uh, then go for Milestone. Or you can go for some kind of hybrid and say, look, either way, this is going to be a quest completed and you guys are going to get the same amount of XP. So if it's XP you're chasing, you know, it's, it's going to be the same either way. The only, you know, I, I've only ever used milestone leveling. I've not toyed around with the XP leveling system yet. Uh, when I, when I run DCC, I'm going to try to do it that way. Um, but the, the Milestone uh, versus XP, I've only ever used Milestone. There are merits to both systems. Uh, but the, I don't know, the, the, the main thing that I say about this is it all depends on what you as the GM uh, want to do. It's up to you to reward XP. It's not up to what the, uh, you know, the Dungeon Master's Guide or the Monster Manual says. It's ultimately up to you how much XP people get for certain encounters or what gives them XP. Uh, but the one thing that I think XP has over milestones is it's another way to reward players for creative thinking outside of uh, inspiration, which is cool. You know, inspiration is a great mechanic in 5e. Uh, but it does allow you, let's say... A player, uh, or the, the players overcome a challenge that you thought they weren't going to overcome. You thought that this was going to be a situation where they had to run away from the monster, and they end up reducing it to zero hit points. You can throw in a little kicker there. Just be like, hey, you guys took that thing out. Uh, you guys did some uh, some creative thinking. So here's a little, here's a little, you know, boost your XP for that, that awesomeness. Uh, but again, there... There are other uh, mechanics in certain games that allow you to do that. Uh, Savage Worlds has the uh, the Benny system, where a GM can just give you a Benny for uh, 
doing something creative or having a cool uh, reaction. Same thing with conviction. Um, I think I got conviction in Hellgate because uh, Bizarre Hands uh, Bob, Bob Morrow, threw out some kind of weird expression that I think sounded better in his head than it did out loud when he said, uh, Clayton, you've always been a bag full of pistols and chilies. <laughs> and I just looked at him and said, is that some kind of northern saying I'm not familiar with? Uh, there was a reward for that, uh, which I think was conviction, but might have been a Benny. Uh, but what Tony brings up here is that if you're streaming, if if you're streaming your game, uh, definitely go for Milestone. Because, uh, as Tony points out here, the, uh, the progression of the story and the planning on the production side is better that way. And that's that gets into a lot of the difference between a streaming game versus a table game. A table game, you can, you know... Have the players grind it out for a super long time before they level up. But a uh, streaming game, you have to treat it like a TV show. Because you're not just playing the game. You have an audience observing. So if you are doing a streaming game, I definitely would recommend Milestone. Because, again, it gives the audience a point where, okay, after this certain thing in preparation for this big fight, the players are leveling up. So they're going to have all kinds of new crazy stuff to pull out. Uh, you may not know what that stuff is, but, you know, as we're headed into this uh, this fight in uh, the church where all of these uh, spirits are converging on uh, the, the members of the vigilance committee who done them wrong, uh, Clayton and Morrow... Morrow's going to have some new spells to throw out there. Clayton's going to be shooting a lot better because, let's face it, that's all I did. Uh, Clayton Clayton had one trick that he did extremely well, and that's shoot things. So Clayton is going to be shooting things a lot better. Um, Morrow's going to have a whole bunch of new spells to throw out here. So it's going to be exciting. You know, what's, what's Bob Morrow going to pull out of his deck of cards this time? Uh, with this new threat kind of breathing down his neck. How is Amy going to be uh, different with his rifle? What's he going to be able to do this time? Because, um, again, that's a, lot of what, that's a lot of what Amy did, too, was shoot things. Uh, you know, how's Jem going to be... How is Jem's uh, charisma improved over the last time he spoke to uh, whichever lady jim was going to be romancing that week uh you know what and narratively it, it kind of makes sense of okay you know jim's had this encounter with this woman multiple times uh they're starting to figure out what uh this woman reacts to so as that dice goes up uh for the uh persuasion it's like you know jim is kind of picking up on cues of the conversation and is now better able to woo uh, their lady love this time. Uh, so yeah, again, if you're doing it that way, then milestone all the way. Every campaign that I've listened to or been a part of for streaming has done milestone. I do milestone for, uh, what did you, Nighthaven. I do milestone for Nighthaven. Don't forget the name of your own game. 
people. If you're streaming a game, don't don't forget the name of your own campaign. Uh, but yeah, I do Milestone for Nighthaven for the same reason. Um, it lets players be where you need them to be for the next session, and it gives the audience something new to look forward to when they hear at the end of a session, for next week you guys are going to level up, you're going to get advances, and now it's a chance to see what new tools are they going to be able to pull out of their toolbox or how much better are they going to be at what they can already do. So again, with Milestone versus XP, it depends on your preference. It depends on the type of game you're running. And it, you know, it depends on what you want to do. If you have, uh, you know, on, on the other side of the coin, let's say you're not doing a streaming game, you're doing a table game, uh, but it's like a hex crawl or it's a West Marches game where it's very heavy on the exploration. It's very heavy on, uh, you know, what, what are we, what are we doing this week? There's not a big story that you're kind of, you know, moving everyone through. There's not, you know, the, the story is what they find along the way. You might be better served using XP for that because the advancement will depend on whether or not the players are exploring new hexes, uh, you know, following hooks that you put in these hexes, where they're going, what they're doing, what kind of new ground they're covering, what kind of shenanigans they get into, versus we're going to uh, continue to hang out in this town that we found, and we're going to, uh, you know, try to pick up barmaids and start fights with people and stuff like that. You know, it's... Again, it your system should fit the type of campaign that you're doing. So if you're doing a dungeon crawl, a hex crawl, uh, west marches, anything like that, I'd say lean more towards XP and lean more towards you get XP as kind of IC fit so that your players aren't gamifying it. But if your game is more driven by a narrative if it's a little bit of a shorter game, or if it's something that people are going to be watching, Milestone. Milestone all the way. Whew. After that, <clears throat> after that uh, little rant there, uh, you get a little bit of water. So yeah, there we go. Well, I, I'm glad that you agree with me, Tony. Um, Milestone versus XP, and, and this is, there are certain things that are worth fighting about in the RPG world. Um, the main thing that I think is worth fighting about is when people tell you how to run your game, or when people, like, not like me, trying to give you advice based on the uh, the things that I've learned in my game. Uh, you know, if, if you, I'm not going to tell you you're running it wrong if you stream a game and you use it. XP, uh, your audience might tell you that you're running it wrong, but I'm not going to say, you know, you're, you're being a moron. Uh, I'm just giving you advice. And that's what I, you know, you can, you can take or leave whatever I say. And that's, that's the way I feel like we should all approach this. Uh, and all the good content creators out there, I think do approach it that way. I don't think Matt Colville loses a second of sleep over people not using systems that he, uh, you know, puts out. Uh, like, if you have a completely different idea for what firearms should look like in D&D, &D, like I do, 
than than what he put out there. I don't think Matt Colville is going to be too terribly sad that I'm using a different system than him. Um, but the the places where you as an you know RPG lover should take your stand is when someone starts telling you that what you and your players are having fun with uh, is wrong or you're not playing the game right or when a when a player at your table uh, starts talking to you about well that's not the optimal choice or that's not what the party needs from you or that's not you know that that's not the choice I would have made at that point uh, you know you should be like well I, you know that doesn't sound fun to me that's not that's not what I want to do with my character. That's not where I think my character is going. I don't really want to do that. And so that's where, you know, you, you should stand your ground and have a little bit of an argument. Uh, and, you know, just to, to bring it back to it, if someone's telling you that you absolutely have to use every single rule put out in uh, the Watsi books, even the ones that, you know, don't, make sense, don't work in your world. Uh, you know, you have to put every little bit of lore. You have to you have to do things exactly the way it's written in the book. And you have to, uh, or you have to, you know, buy every Watsi book because if you don't, then the RPG world is going to go away. You can absolutely tell those people to kick rocks because um, they're trying to tell you how to have fun. If you'd rather play Savage Worlds, you'd rather play DCC like I would, you know, I'd rather play both of those games at this point. Yeah. I'm not going to be too happy about someone, uh, you know, telling me how to have my fun. But when it comes to stuff like whether you use Milestone or XP, when it comes to uh, the rest mechanics that you use, whether you use like the, the gritty rest or the regular rest, um, when it comes to, you know, like how story focused your campaign is, that's not stuff that's worth getting in a knockdown drag out over. And I feel like uh, the RPG world can get a little bit subdivided when it comes to systems that we prefer. It's it's not it's not quite addition wars level where uh, you know two e players would tell the four e people, you know, I hope you're enjoying your world of Warcraft or you know whatever it was then. Uh, it, it's, it's not quite to that level, but there's a lot of, you know, why are you using that mechanic or why are you doing things that way? And, you know, at that point, you know, it, it's not worth, it's not worth the fight, you know, just let people have fun at their table. Uh, but, you know, honestly, there are merits to, to both systems just to put a nice little bow on top of that. Um, as far as closing the show out here, we, we've got, you know, about a half hour left of, uh, you know, what usual showtime would be. So I guess uh, getting back to a little bit of the DCC as an introduction uh, tool, one thing I do want to caution against or recommend against is if you are running DCC for brand new players, don't put them through a funnel just yet. Um, 
the funnel system in Dungeon Crawl Classics and Mutant Crawl Classics is cool. I like it a lot. But if you're introducing an RPG to people and you want to give them a taste of what, you know, this is what it's like at its most fun, uh, you know, this is this is a, you know, a prime example of what running an RPG is. Have a good night, Tony. I'm, I'm glad you stopped by for a little bit. Uh, but, you know, if, if you are trying to introduce someone to the world of role-playing, don't start them out with a funnel. I'd say for DCC, and this is where I started, uh, the first time I ran, or not ran, but played uh, DCC or MCC, we were third-level characters uh, for a one-shot. And what that does is it gives players a slight taste of this is what your character is like with a little bit of power behind them. This is where you can get. This is the uh, this is kind of the midpoint. This is like um, being a superhero in the middle of their career. So this is like uh, Batman the Animated Series Batman. You are kind of in the prime of your adventuring years. You are established. You've got some abilities. You can do some cool things. Here are the situations that you find yourself in uh, with that in mind. You're not starting them out in like a year one Batman context where you don't even have your costume yet. Uh, You are Bruce Wayne in sweats and a ski mask. Uh, You are breaking up a mugging. Because at that point... You know, if you introduce brand new players with that, you're like, all right, you're a farmer who picked up a sword in a dungeon. You've got four hit points if you're lucky. And, uh, you know, you need to find your way through this dungeon so that you can even, like, I don't know, earn the chance to become a warrior. Players are going to get a little bit turned off by that. If you're just introducing them, if you're just doing a one-shot, you don't want to introduce people by saying, hey, you're going to be a farmer. You might as well say, hey, you know, to start things off today, you're going to be cleaning the toilets. You want to show them the best of, you know, what's out there. Because you're selling them this idea. You're selling them this concept, this new thing that they haven't been introduced to yet. Um, and that's why a lot of uh, first D&D campaigns, I think, start at third level. You need to show people, like, you, you just need to show them, you know, the possibilities. If we start this campaign, we're going to start a little bit lower than this. This is something you have to kind of fight your way towards. But this is what your prime RPG experience will be like. This is the uh, kind of the, the best example of mid-level or low to mid-level play where you can have a little bit of fun, you can flex your muscles a little bit, and you can do some cool things. We're not going to overwhelm you with the, uh, you know, big, super powerful aspects of uh, role-playing just yet. You're going to learn those as you go. But here's, you know, here's a day in the life. Here's, here's a good little look at what's to come if you want to stick with this. 
that's where you should start, especially with DCC, because, you know, for as much as I love Dungeon Crawl Classics, and this is something that we talked about on Lou's podcast, on this old dungeon, there's so much of a focus around the funnel element of uh, Dungeon Crawl Classics when people talk about it. There's a lot of emphasis on, you know, you start out as a farmer who picks up a sword. Well, that may be cool for someone who has been playing for a little bit or who, you know, is looking to start at the ground floor. But for someone who's never played an RPG before or someone who's never played this particular game before, it's not very appealing to go, yeah, I want to start off as a, you know, a farmer or uh, you know a grave digger or whatever it is. I want to I want to be this uh, I want to be this thing this uh, this uh, you know profession. I want to be the janitor. I want to be the assistant to the regional manager. Now you you, you want to start them off somewhere where they can you know see see what's out there. So uh, keep that in mind if you are looking to introduce people to role-playing with Dungeon Crawl Classics or Mutant Crawl Classics. Uh, give them a cool scenario and give them some second or third level characters uh, to give things a go on. So yeah, uh, that's a couple things that I wanted to discuss. Um, I'm not sure what we're going to do next week. I think I'm going to dedicate all of next week to discussions of combat in role-playing. Um, we're going to talk a little bit about weapon variety and, you know, ha how to make that better, how to handle players who want to have super-specific weapons, all that stuff. Um, I'm going to talk a little bit about speeding up combat, about mechanics that help you speed up combat, about... Uh, you know, th things to just make combat fun, make it interesting, emphasize the good aspects, but don't make it stick around for so long. Because one of the things that uh, 5e does very badly is keeping combat fresh and interesting. Combat in 5e, even at first level, goes on for so, so long. And ideally, a... Uh, you know, a good combat is probably about three rounds. I'd say that's, you know, a decent combat. Three rounds. A long combat, like a boss battle, something like that, that should be maybe five rounds. Anything more than that is tedium. Because it's, it's, you know, we're just plinking away at this thing. Unless there's uh, something to some other challenge to overcome along with the combat. Uh, you know, let, let's say you're fighting an evil wizard who summons some minions and he's got these uh, spell components that he set up around the room to prevent himself from being injured at all. Nothing can pass through this uh, force field that he has around him. How are you going to deal with that? How are you going to uh, get rid of that force field? Do you have someone who's got Dispel Magic who can get rid of it and then you can you know, take him out? Uh, or do you have to physically knock down all these different things? 
that is an interesting combat that can maybe go past five rounds because there are other elements to it. But just, you know, we're swinging at each other or we're throwing magic at each other, um, that's got a very limited shelf life. So we're going to talk about how to make combat interesting next week unless we can get together Nighthaven. I am working on that. I will uh, keep you guys posted on Nighthaven moving forward because we do have some big things coming for Rolling Bones in 2022. Uh, we'll be talking about that as uh, January goes on. And uh, by by the end of January, headed into February, you guys will know what's going down there. So uh, until then, until next week, uh, I appreciate everyone who stopped by, everyone who listened, everyone who participated. I really do appreciate the uh, the interaction tonight. I hope you guys have a good night, and uh, whether you rolled a 1 or a 20, I'm so glad that you rolled your bones with me, Ryan Howard, and I will see you guys next week.